The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So I want to begin this morning by uh, pointing out to you and sharing with you a, a photo that came across my news feed this week. Uh, and uh, the caption uh, that the person sharing this photo posted with it was, what does living with COVID look like? And they uh, pictured this, this cave and, and what they were getting at was how full of unknowns the next months and years uh, will be for us and the time that we are, are living in as we head into this. And so I, I can anticipate that this picture does a great job of, of capturing even for you, perhaps, a place that you're feeling uh, like your life is looking like. Or even us as a faith community here at First Hamilton, as we look ahead at the next uh, months and years of our life together as a community. Because let's just be honest for a second. I think we all got used to what life in the pandemic was and is. We got used to the rhythms, whether we liked them or not. We got into this sort of way of life. And now as we're seemingly emerging into a new sort of um, part of this, we don't know what it looks like, but we know that the ground underneath us is shifting. And deep down, that's kind of a scary thing. There's a lot of unknowns. Unknowns about the virus. Are we moving too fast or too slow? How will our world continue to change and shift? And will it, will it come back? Will it be worse? Unknowns about our church. Will people come back? Goodness gracious, when can we drink coffee again? Can we take off our masks in church and see people smile? Soon. Not for a while. All of these questions, even unknowns about our country. What will happen? What will come about from all of these protests? The next three years, five years, will inflation continue to climb? So there are a lot of unknowns ahead of us, and this photo captures what it feels like to head into the darkness, into the unknowns. Enter Joseph. We entered the story of Joseph this morning in Genesis 45 at the end of his story, or nearing the end of it. Joseph has emerged from the cave in many ways in the reading that we read this, this morning. And Joseph has a divine perspective to share with us that is so helpful for us in our present moment. But first, let's imagine ourselves in Joseph's shoes. If you remember the story, you remember that um, well before this passage, Joseph was sent by his father to be, uh, to to uh, check in with his brothers in the field. And uh, the, the recent history with Joseph and his brothers was a little bit rocky because Joseph had essentially told them they were going to eventually bow down to him. He saw it in a dream, and so they weren't super keen on him. And they, they, when they saw him, they actually ended up selling him as a slave to people who were passing by on their way to Egypt. So all alone— Joseph 
was sold off by his own family, brought into Egypt and bought by a man named Potiphar. Joseph lived and worked in the house of Potiphar for, uh, estimates are, between five and seven years. Over that time, he grew in his influence, right? He grew in his, uh, his influence in the household and his status in the household. But then, when things started to look up for Joseph, Potiphar's wife, in an in a effort to try to get him in bed with her, uh, laid on false accusations of sexual abuse, which landed him in jail. He was all forgotten about in jail. Estimates, again, between five and seven years in prison. And during that time, Joseph again was uh, growing in his influence and his responsibilities, but still stuck in prison. Until word got around about Joseph's dream interpreting skills, right, which um, Joseph had had the opportunity to offer to two people while he was in prison. And those people referred him to Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh had a dream, Joseph was brought to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh that, that there would be a famine in the land of Egypt. And because of Joseph's ability to interpret the dream, Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of, of managing the famine response team. And he was second in command in all of Egypt, second to only Pharaoh. Very influential. And all of this, the famine, the, led Joseph's brothers right back to him in full circle to receive and to buy food from Egypt. And so I think, you know, for me, this is one of the most incredible stories in the Old Testament. It ranks near the top for me. But now paying attention to the picture of the cave, we can ask ourselves the question, you know, how many points in Joseph's life did he feel like he was entering into the unknown? What about when he was sold by his brothers? What about when he was brought to a foreign country? What about when he was bought by Potiphar? What about when he was put in prison? What about when, he, uh, when Egypt faced a famine? What about when he was put into a leadership position that he probably did not feel ready for? That promotion could not have been easy and Joseph's experience and Joseph's world is not unlike ours. Joseph faced what we face. Joseph felt what we felt, feel. And so as I was reading the Old Testament passage this week, I realized that Joseph's words here are super helpful for us because they, they tell us about somebody who hasn't just walked into the cave of unknowns, but has come out the other side. And has received in the midst of all of this a divine perspective that we can hear from him. That helps us where we're at. And so with that, I want to read this passage again. Genesis 45 verses 3 to 11. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. And just pause for a second and think about what Joseph's brothers had done to him. 
and for him to say those things to them, that would have rocked their world. <laughs> Joseph goes on. He says, Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me, he says it again, ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have, I will provide for you there. Because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Now, this is incredible, isn't it? What Joseph is saying is this. He's saying to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God worked for good. God worked in and through the hateful and evil decisions of Joseph's brothers, the deceitful words of, of, of Potiphar's wife, the forgetfulness of the, the baker and the cupbearer in prison. He worked in and through all of that in such a way that it led to good for many people and ultimately to preserve God's people. Israel, God's promised covenant people, were saved because of Joseph. Now this by no means absolves Joseph's brothers from the guilt of their sin. And this is the, the fascinating part here is that, that they, they did something terrible. Terrible in the eyes of Joseph. Terrible in the eyes of God. And they need to Seek forgiveness. Be reconciled for that. However, what this shows us, and what Joseph's words show us here, is something incredibly important. It shows us that God's actions cannot be and will not ever, 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 ever be thwarted or undone or challenged or compromised by human sin and brokenness. God is always sending us and leading us into the place that he wants us to be. In the midst of and through our poor decisions and our good decisions. Our sinful decisions and our righteous decisions. The things that are happening to us the things that we do in the world. All of this, God is somehow above and sovereign over. And his purposes, his ultimate purposes can never, never be undone. At many points in Joseph's life, this would have been impossible for him to see. He needed the perspective 
of coming out the other side and seeing the faithfulness of God throughout the midst of his life. And I think the psalm for the day points out to us how, as Christians, we must maintain a patience in the midst of our lives as we wait for the Lord. How many times in the psalms do we hear the psalmists over and over and over saying, wait for the Lord, be patient for the Lord, for he is faithful to his promises. We, of all people, are, are not to be swayed to the left or to the right, but remain faithful to the word of God, to his, to his law and his instruction. No matter what people are doing around us, we can remain faithful because we know that God is who he says he is. Martin Luther, the great reformer, faced a lot of unknowns in his life too. Threats of death from, from people all around him, and he lived many days of his life with the fear of, of death. It was constantly on his mind. And in many ways, um, throughout his life, he, he wrestled with the why questions of why me? Why did I have to be the one to lead this charge, to be a leader in, in the midst of this reformation? And he, reflecting on this passage in Genesis, puts it so well for us. He says, I cannot escape or draw away that horrible mask which hides the face of God. In other words, he says, you, you can't get away from the darkness. It's there. But I must stay in the darkness and in exceedingly dark mist until a new light shines through. Thus Jacob and Joseph had a very sad sight before their eyes. But with that great joy, God shows them his back. And by that, Luther's saying that the back of God that Pat Moses sees, that, that, that um, image of God. God shows them his back. The affliction and ruin of the descendants in Egypt. Because we remember, too, that, that um, the story of Joseph, you know, how, how God saved Israel by bringing them into Egypt to save them from the famine. But then, you know, they become slaves in Egypt. But that ultimately led them out to Mount Sinai, to the Promised Land. That affliction was terrible, Luther says, but the outcome was most glorious. And so there, Luther captures this tension between living in the darkness and recognizing the glory that is to come. The next two years, three years, five years, it won't be easy for us. Most of us know this. As we continue to navigate our way through a lot of these unknowns, we can listen to Joseph. And we can learn from Joseph. But actually, the best news for us in this passage here is not that we are like Joseph, but that we are like his brothers. In this passage, I really think we are the brothers. We are the offenders, the sinners. The ones who have royally messed things up. We don't deserve the deliverance and the faithfulness from God. You know, in our present day Good Friday services, oftentimes, you know, when we're, when we're telling the story of the crucifixion, there comes a point in time where Jesus is in front of the crowds. And 
most of our worship services intentionally include a communal confession, right? Crucify him. Crucify him. As we recognize the part that we play, we sold Jesus just as Joseph's brothers sold him. And so we have to see ourselves in the shoes of the brothers here. We are the foolish, the sinners, the evil. And we were the ones that our sin right, caused Jesus to come and to die. But this story of Joseph points us towards our need for the, the greater Joseph, the one who did come, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is where this is good news for us because Jesus came. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we deserve, and he rose again victorious. He came. He was sent. Right? We could almost verbatim go back over ex, uh, Genesis 45 and read Jesus into this story. He says to us almost exactly the same thing that Joseph says to his brothers, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, the church, and to save your lives by a great deliverance, the cross, the resurrection. This is Jesus. This is the story that we live in. And Jesus made it through the other side. Right? He walked through the darkness of the cave and he emerged victorious on Easter Sunday. The world can be a dark and difficult place, but the coming of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus shows us that nothing is hopeless. Everything will ultimately be okay. Thanks be to God. <laughs> now, what does this call us to do? How do we take this story and begin to apply it to our lives? One reflection and there are others, but I just offer this this morning. I believe that this time especially, as we look ahead um, into the unknowns of our, uh, of our lives, and we need help to remember God's faithfulness. You know, I'm struck at how listening to stories of people who have lived through times like this, for me, this is, you know, as a, as, a, as a white Western millennial, this is the first time that I am finding my life out of control. Really. You know, most of my life has been quite steady. And not yet. Not, not now. And But I've been struck as I've listened to stories of people who have walked through what we find ourselves walking through. Two different, you know, there's, you know, we can think of so many different groups of people that we have to listen to. But I think as a church, we have to have our mindset on listening to the stories of others. Especially those of older generations. Of those who, of, of, of racial minorities. Of people who, ha, who, for them, this has been their reality in life. We have so much to learn about God and his faithfulness through paying attention to the stories of people who have walked through this. And so I'm going to make a plea. We need the voices of older generations here in this church. 
And I'm going to name it now because I haven't seen some of our senior members in a long time. And I know that there's a lot of good reasons for this. I honestly do. And at the same time, it makes me really sad that we've missed the presence of our older members in our worshiping community. There are also a lot of bad reasons to stay home that I've heard from some of our senior members. And we need you back. We, we, I am asking that, that there be some good conversation in the households of our senior members this week about coming back to church and sitting in the pew. Because it's not just me. I think, of, I think of everyone else in this community who would be so blessed by just being in the presence of people who have seen things that we haven't seen, who have lived things that we haven't learned, lived, and who have experienced God's faithfulness in ways that we can only imagine. We need this. We need you. Younger people, we have to listen. And we have to welcome and show hospitality. For those who have been in the rhythm of Sunday worship for the greater part of two years, we have to open up our arms as we see folks that we haven't seen. Right? This is not easy for any of us. It's in community with others that Joseph tells his story. That he points out God's faithfulness. That he forgives and seeks healing. And we do the same. Our hope in this challenging time is to know that every Sunday we come together, we sing together, and we listen to God's word together, and then we can be sent together. Jesus comes to us to save us and to send us. And so as we uh, reflect on this story, we also reflect on the sending nature of our God. Where has he sent you? And I'll let you reflect on the Luke 6 passage this week. To love those who are hard to love. To be generous to those who might not reciprocate that. To, uh, to be hospitable to those who aren't as hospitable to you. Where is God sending you this week? That you may reflect his love and his grace. Will you represent him as best as you can? Let this fill us with confidence. You can't screw this up. Because God works in and through our righteous and our broken actions. We will never love perfectly, but we do have a perfect Savior. And he promises to work through all of our actions to bring about his purpose. So we are free to act and free to love because of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we pray uh, that you would 
you would continue to lead us as a community, to guide us as we, um, as we continue to walk through a, a, a challenging time in our world. Um, God, as we, uh, as we wrestle with this as a community here, we also recognize that you send us into the world to be a beacon of light. And, and Father, I pray that you would um, send your spirit uh, in, into, into each of us to, to, to help us to, to, to act in ways that would bring honor and glory to your name. And Father, forgive us for our brokenness, our sinfulness, and ultimately, God, we, we trust that you will work through us um, to bring about your greater good. And so, Father, be with us and, and, send, and send us in Jesus' name. Amen.